to People Who Suffer. My name is Andrew, and I'm doing this podcast to help people who suffer. I want you to know that I understand you. I've done a lot of suffering in my life, and I'm hoping that the things that I share through this podcast will resonate with you in some way that it will help you understand a little bit about why you suffer and how to do a lot less of it. Today I'm going to follow up on the first couple of episodes that I did that were really introductions to helping you understand how I know what suffering is, kind of a little bit about what my experience of suffering was when I was a child, how I learned to become really good at it really early, how I was really just caught up in a world where my whole existence was about making sure that I made other people happy, that I wasn't letting people down, that I was living up to this image that I thought people had for me, and this image that I managed to build for myself. And doing all of that resulted in a lot of suffering. So I started really early in life searching for ways really to feel better. And I think one of the things that I've really noticed over the course of the last few years is that all anyone really wants in life is to feel better. That's really all they want. And it's quite often disguised in ways that people don't recognize that that's really what it is. It might be disguised as, I want to be in better shape. I want to have a better job. I'd like to live in a different town. I'd like to have better relationships. I'd like to be better at a sport or a better communicator or, you know, do be more successful in my life. But really, all of those things are all kind of the same. Because when we think about any one of those things, the only reason that we would want the circumstances to change for us is so that we would feel better. And there's really a few different ways that we can look at how we feel And when I meet with people, this is really the first thing that we talk about. I will kind of walk them through the process. And it's not really a process. It's just a kind of a pointing out of a few things that are really obvious, although you may not have heard them in the way that I'm going to point them out. And and I really love to do this in person. It just seems to me that it works really well in person. It works really well if there can be some direct feedback. And I've had a bit of a hang-up with the idea of even sharing what I'm about to share today in this format because it feels to me like, I don't know, it might be a stretch to do it this way. But I also know that I've heard things in my life on podcasts or in books that I'm pretty sure the people that were sharing those had some pretty powerful experiences of sharing them in person and maybe had some sort of reservation about sharing those things in the format that they were sharing them, but they still had some sort of an impact on me. So I'm going to go ahead and do this. And I mentioned in the first couple of episodes, which turned into being just one episode, part one and two, I think I called it, but 
let's be honest, numbering them doesn't mean anything. It's not important. So I'll try not to mention that again. But I did in the first recordings talk a little bit about what my experience of life was like um, for the first many, many years of my life. And that I had a really difficult time. And I know that there are a lot of us that struggle with emotional well-being and mental well-being and have a lot of beliefs about ourselves that are probably not particularly helpful. And I certainly was one of those people. And so the search started very early in life to find a way to feel different about myself because I didn't feel great. And so if you were to draw a spectrum of feeling and at one end of the spectrum, you would have the absolute worst you could possibly feel. And I might call that, you know, one of my younger clients called it total crap. When I said, what's the worst you can feel? He said, well, total crap is obviously the worst that I could feel. And and that kind of resonated with me, actually. So I use that a lot when I share this with people. So at one end of the spectrum is total crap, the absolute worst you can feel. And at the other end of the spectrum is just absolutely amazing. The best you could possibly imagine feeling and then even better. And in between those two things are all the other ways you could feel. Yeah, I feel okay. Oh, I feel pretty good. Um, You know, there's lots of different ways to feel. But if you look at that spectrum of feeling and kind of think about it from the viewpoint of looking at life in general, you know, how have you felt during your life in general? And when I ask that question to many of the people who come to see me, Well, obviously, they've been drawn to me for some reason, and that reason is probably that they resonate a little bit with what I've shared of my story. So I spent a lot of time not feeling very good and not letting people really know that I didn't feel good, but really going around not feeling good. And I described that feeling in detail one of the earlier podcasts, but for right now, let's just say that it leaned towards the total crap end of the spectrum. And I spent a good portion of my time in the feeling on that side of the spectrum. Well, of course, when you live over there on the spectrum of feeling, you want one of two things. You either want the experience of feeling like that to change, or you want it to end. And the first thing that we obviously try to do is try to change it. And that's what I call the search. Like I just searched for a long, long time. How do I change this? And as the search went on and on year after year after year, another book, another movie, another seminar, another class, new friends, new location, you name it. I did a lot of things starting in my teenage years to try to figure out how to feel a little bit different. And uh, man, after a lot of years of trying it, I tended to get a little bit hopeless about it. So let's add hopeless to the belief that I 
had about myself to a little bit of the identity that I carried around, I was pretty hopeless. I kind of felt like this was just my lot in life. I was going to feel this way for the rest of it. And that's just the way it was going to be for me. So the years went by and I struggled and had a hard time and had troubles being successful and had real challenges with completing any sort of task, graduating from college, high school, you name it. And again, most people don't know this. Most people don't know that the day I walked um, at Brigham Young University for graduation, I didn't graduate. I had not completed a class that I found virtually impossible to complete. And I'd already been in school for seven years for a four-year degree. So Chris Farley and I had something in common. Um, It took us a shade over seven years to graduate from college, uh, which is one of my favorite moments in a movie called Tommy Boy. I actually, I think in that he says a shade under seven years, but it took me a shade over seven years. And, uh, and Chris Farley, his character, so Tommy Boy says, well, a lot of people go to school for seven years. And David Spade's character says, yeah, they're called doctors. And I have a lot of friends who are doctors and lawyers and all sorts of highly successful people. And, they were just part of this big group of people that I looked at and thought, well, hey, they they can handle it and I can't. So anyway, that's enough for now about uh, me living on that side of the spectrum. So let's move along with this a little bit because all I wanted was to move. I wanted, I wanted to move to the other side of the spectrum. I wanted to feel better and I uh, didn't know how to do it. And so I noticed that there's actually a lot of people who are like this. And uh, I will share with you now that there's really a simple understanding available to all of us that will help us get what we want. And the only thing that any of us wants is to feel better. So I ask you this question right now as you listen. If you knew that there was a simple understanding available to you that would help you feel better either in life in general or regarding some specific thing that's going on in your life or even in this very moment, would you be interested? And I've had a lot of people sit in front of me and share their circumstances with me. And every single time I've asked that question to them, Would you be interested in this simple understanding? I've gotten the same answer. And every one of them has said, well, of course I would. And that's great because let's move along with it then and talk about what this simple understanding is. And to do that, I'm first going to ask you one question. And the question is this, are you open to the possibility that you are not your thinking. Now, to those of us who live in the world of life coaching, personal development of read books, have been to seminars and trainings, um, this is not a question that comes with any sort of, you know, mystery around it, because we've talked about this stuff so much now that it seems like an obvious thing to talk about. 
yeah, of course, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not my thinking. What I think isn't me. Um, my beliefs about myself may not necessarily be true. But that is a new understanding. That's a new idea for most people that come to meet with me. And so when I ask this question, are you open to the possibility that you are not your thinking? I want to go into detail a little bit about what that question means. Well, what does it mean that you're not your thinking? Well, what is your thinking? What are you thinking right now? Are you listening to the words that I'm saying and maybe having some judgment around those words? Maybe thinking, what is this guy talking about? Am I going to bother to even listen to the rest of this? What's the point? And so everything that comes and goes in and out of our brains gets met with some sort of filter, some sort of processing of information, some sort of judgment, some sort of an attempt to intellectually understand and categorize and figure out and make sense of. And our brains do this all the time. They do it with everything that goes on around us. We see people on the street, we're making judgments of them. We look around our homes, we see things that we maybe should be better at. Um, I might look around my office right now where I'm recording this and, and see a pile of papers that I should have dealt with. And I'll look at that pile of papers and I'll have a thought, my gosh, what kind of a lazy person are you that you haven't dealt with that stack of papers? And then my thinking will immediately go to, Andrew, you're lazy. Or I'll look and see a mess over in the corner of something that I haven't dealt with for a long time. And now on top of lazy gets disorganized and messy. So now I got those three beliefs that have run through my head in the last 10 seconds. And maybe I'll look up on my wall at a list of things that I'm supposed to have done. And I will think to myself, oh my gosh, you can't focus. That psychologist that diagnosed you with ADD was really right. You can't focus. Look, look how much stuff you don't get done. And then I might pay attention to the clock and see that it's after midnight and say to myself, my gosh, here you are awake again after midnight. You're some sort of an insomniac. You, you must be a night owl. And all of these beliefs will add up. And this is just a really simple way for me to share with you what kinds of things go on in my thinking. And so I end up believing all that stuff about myself, or at least I used to. And I had a huge list of things that would, would fit up there in that kind of thinking. And I had all sorts of evidence that I gathered over the years to support everything I believed about myself. I had, for an example, a belief that I was depressed, that I had depression. And why did I have it? Well, of course I had it. My, my mom, my mom's family had a history of depression. I hope she doesn't mind that I'm letting this out into the public domain. But again, 
everything that we share that's something we've learned from is service, and I'm very certain she'd be on board with that. So thanks, Mom. Um, but yeah, so I remember as I was as I was growing up and, and depression started to be something that people talked about in my later years, I'm like, well, of course I have it. We have a long history of all sorts of mental illness on my mom's side of the family. Like there's lots of great intellectual gifts. There's some photographic memory. There's some extraordinarily high IQ. There's some musical genius. There's some uh, some other things that, that would be great. Um, but with those things, you know, that was the way we all looked at it with those things come the challenges. And one of the challenges for me is that, you know, I had depression and ADHD and this and that, and the next thing. And of course, because I had those mental illnesses, I experienced a lot of the things that people with those illnesses experience. So I experienced a lot of overwhelm. I experienced a lot of inability to focus. You know, I experienced some pretty severe dysfunction in the way that I was able to really not get things done and and have a hard time progressing with life in a normal sort of way. And I actually step back and look at my life and I'm pretty fascinated with how much I've gotten out of it. Like it's, it's pretty incredible that I've managed to have a, a, a pretty functional family and some great kids and a few good relationships and, you know, been okay at sports and music and stuff like that. Because man, oh man, I'm walking around with all these beliefs about myself and my real identity, if anyone was to ask me what I really thought about myself was not too great. So when I ask you the question, are you open to the possibility that you are not your thinking? I'm talking about all that stuff I just talked about. And I hope that as I talked about that stuff, you kind of had a sense of the way you think about yourself, of the way you see the world, of the way you see yourself in the world, of the way you experience life, that it comes through your thinking. And... When I point that out to people, for some people, it's the first time that they've ever considered that anything that entered their head was not the truth, was not the absolute truth of how things are. And so to those people, this question, first of all, is difficult to understand. But secondly, as soon as you do kind of understand it, it's really, really mind-blowing. It's eye-opening. It's, it's really an incredible experience. Because I'm going to ask it again, are you open to the possibility that you are not your thinking? Huh, okay, yeah. Yeah, I guess, I guess I am. Which is what everyone that I've ever asked this question to has said. Yeah, I guess... Yeah, I'm open to that possibility. And then I go on to the next question. I say, well, listen, if you're open to the possibility that you are not your thinking, then there's a very obvious question that is born out of that. And that question is, who am I? If I'm not my thinking, who am I? 
And this is where I'm going to kind of go back in time a little bit and, uh, and share an experience that I had with you because I don't want to answer this question right now. Um, but I had an experience and, and, and at the beginning of this podcast, I mentioned that I was a little apprehensive about sharing this in this format. And this is the first time that I will ever have shared this in any way other than face to face with someone who I felt could benefit from what I had experienced. So this is the first time that I'm, that I'm doing this in this way. And I'm, I'm actually sitting here at the microphone and thinking about the people who have been positively impacted as I've shared what I'm about to share and thinking about the feelings that came up for them as they heard it and kind of thinking that there might be people listening to this right now that get to have that kind of an experience that you whoever you are listening to this might be one of those people just like the ones that are sitting in the chair in my office or in a chair in a zoom conversation or in a, in a group that I'm working with. And so I want to go back and tell you about something that happened in 2006. I was home with the family in Canada for our summer trip that we take up there. And we woke up in the morning that we were to come home and, and my kids were young. Um, I think they were 11, five and three at the time. And, uh, I woke up that morning and said to Jill, my wife, Jill, I said, I, I don't feel very good. I don't know what's going on. Something weird is happening. And I was having some really strange physical symptoms that I don't hadn't remembered ever experiencing before. And one of those was that my legs felt like concrete. I had to lift them out of the bed just to stand up. And I had to really struggle to go up the stairs and I was just feeling terrible. And, um, you know, we got packed up and loaded up the, the van and my parents drove us to the airport, which is about two hours away. And then we took our five hour flight back to Phoenix. And by the time we got to Phoenix, I was really having a hard time moving. And there was no way I could have lifted, uh, you know, one of my two toddler boys or carried really any luggage. So I was kind of shuffling along like, uh, <laughs> it's funny. My kids every once in a while say, dad, you look like the oldest grandpa. And in that moment, I actually did look like the oldest grandpa. And I, I felt like the oldest grandpa, even though I was only 36 years old. And so I'm shuffling along and, uh, and on the way home, I called my doctor and he was also a friend of mine. So I had kind of a personal relationship with him and, and he answered the phone. It was pretty late at night. And I told him the symptoms I was having. And he said, well, do you think you know, you're going to be okay to morning or should you go see someone tonight? And I said, I think I'm going to be okay till the morning. It doesn't seem that this has progressed a whole lot since this morning. And uh, he said, great, come into my office first thing tomorrow morning. And I did. My wife drove me into the office and we came in and sat down with him really early. It was one of the first times I remember 
being in the car with Jill and, and me not driving. Like that was just an unusual circumstance for me. But uh, we went into the doctors and he had his medical journals open and he looked at, he looked at me and said, well, you know, I've narrowed it down to three possibilities and none of them are things you're going to be particularly excited about. They, they could all be, you know, physically a little bit devastating. And uh, he said, I think you've got one of three things. And the three things were um, ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, kind of um, multiple sclerosis, and something called Guillain-Barre syndrome, which at that time I'd never heard of. Apparently it was the paralysis of the autonomic nervous system. And, and what happens when you get that is that uh, parts of your nervous system that run automatically uh, become paralyzed and shut down and stop operating. And one of the very, very dangerous things that happens with uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome is that your diaphragm stops working and you have a strong possibility of suffocating, even though you're wide awake and functional. So anyway, he reached out to his friend who was... uh, kind of the head guy down at the Barrows Neurological Institute. And uh, his friend said, get this guy in a car right now and get him down here. and We'll fast track him into the observation room and start doing some tests on him. So they ran me down there. Or should I say my wife drove me down there. And on the way to that hospital, we had a really uh, interesting conversation. And there was some sort of a, a high level of peace around whatever it was that was going on. And we just had a real talk with each other. And I said, listen, you know, given what we're hearing right now, there's a possibility that I leave the hospital in a wheelchair and, and that things are different from here on out in our lives. And for some reason, we just kind of felt peaceful on our way there. And we got there and she helped me into the hospital and they started running all these tests after I had been in there for a while and had some doctors looking at me, they couldn't really see anything that was wrong. And all my vital signs were coming back pretty normal. And whatever tests they were running, you know, we're going to take some time to, to get any sort of response from those. And so I'm sitting in the hospital bed and, and Jill is at my bedside and I'm hooked up to the EKG and there's a nurse in the room. And I looked at my wife and I said, Jill, I don't, feel very good. And then she tells the rest of the story because she said, you turned gray and slumped over and your heart monitor flatlined and just went to that. And, um, of course she thought I was dead and I don't really know what went on while everyone was in the hospital there, but what I do recall was the experience that I had. And I found myself having the experience of being in like a grassy meadow on top of a hill and feeling like on the other side of the hill were the family members that had died before me. And my grandmother had recently died and our family had actually been having a terrible, terrible time with that. There was a lot of sadness in the family. We we're having a hard time getting over it because my grandmother was so much the glue that 
kind of held the family together. She was just such a, a great grandma. I mean, loved the daylights out of her and she was, and she just so loved her children and, and, and held the family together really well. Anyway, I had the sense that she was there and that my brother was there who was killed in a car accident when he was only 17. And that was a, a difficult time for the family. And, and, and then I had the sense that other people were there and then not just my family, but also everyone else who had died was also there. And I had this feeling like I knew them all equally. Like there wasn't any sort of great separation between how well I knew the members of my family and how well I knew the other people who were there who weren't members of my family. And that was really, really cool. That was a cool experience. But it wasn't anywhere close to the coolest part of the experience. The coolest part of the experience was the feeling. And the feeling, the only word I could use to describe it is love. That was the only word I could come up with when I came back. It just felt like the most powerful, infinite love. And it filled every bit of the space I occupied. So much so that no other feeling could possibly have penetrated it. And that's what I felt. And you can imagine how incredible that feeling was to someone who had searched their whole life to feel better. So here I was, and in this moment, actually, my life had kind of ended, but I was finally feeling the feeling that I had just wanted so badly to feel while I was here. And this went on for a couple of minutes. And just as they were about to hit me with the paddles, my heart started on its own again. I became conscious, looked around, didn't know anybody, had no idea where I was, what I was doing, who anyone was, didn't recognize my wife didn't know my name. It took uh, a couple minutes for that stuff to all come back. But I had this feeling of peace. I had just returned from the most incredible feeling. And I remember not really wanting to be back, but also knowing that it was okay. And that was a very, very powerful experience. And I felt honestly like I imagined the Buddha for the next while. And the first thing I did was start sharing this experience with those close to me that I thought it would help, that I thought it would serve. The first call went to my parents, to my mom. And I said, Mom, we've got to stop worrying about Grandma. We have to, we've got to understand that the feeling that she's in right now is so beautiful that it doesn't even make sense for us to mourn. Yeah, I mean, we can be sad that she's no longer with us, but wow, we've got to be thrilled for her that she gets to feel this because this feeling is so incredible that it's just, it's not to be described, can't be described. 
I use the word love, and it's a, you know, it'll, it'll give us some sort of a reference point, some sort of an approximation, but it doesn't describe it, doesn't do it justice. So anyway, here I am back from this experience, and the experience is bringing peace to those I share it with. And I, over the course of years, I've had the opportunity to sit and be with many people who were struggling through the loss of a loved one. And I didn't know why this sharing this experience worked so well, but it just did seem to help people feel a lot better. And I thought, given the context of my understanding at the time, that what had happened when I tried to, when I tried to explain it as I came back, I thought that what had happened is that I had died and I had gone to be in the presence of God. And because I was with God, I got to feel this feeling and that was the only reason I got to feel that because I had gone to be with him and, and, and now I was back. And so in order for me to feel that feeling again in that way, I would have to be in the presence of God. So I obviously no longer had any sort of a fear around death. I had a, a really peaceful relationship with death from that point on and thought, you know, it's going to be a good time when I get there. Um, but, you know, I've still got some stuff to do here. So I returned to this life of suffering. And I had just thought that life was suffering and it was just going to go on that way forever. And every once in a while, I would have some sort of circumstances that would arise in my life that would give me a brief vacation from the experience of suffering. And that this, um, this life was suffering, and every once in a while I'd, I'd get away from it. So anyway, I went on about my life and returned to the experience of suffering and continued the search of trying to feel better. And this went on for a long time. And the next place it led me, thankfully, was the thing that would change the course of my life. And I, I realize now that I'm so far along with this story that I'm not going to get to part two of this story. Uh, part two of this story is going to come in the next uh, episode. But for right now, I'm going to finish off with a little bit more about where I went looking for an opportunity to feel better. And it led me to talking to different people uh, about further opportunities for self-help, self-understanding, self-discovery, just, you know, someone out there has got to know something. And um, thankfully, one of the people that I knew uh, through church gave me tickets to go see a guy speak at the Gilbert Public Library. And he was going to be speaking about something called the owner victim choice. And this guy was some sort of a life coach, public speaker, trainer, author, something like that. And I got these tickets and I was in a pretty dark place mentally at the time. And I didn't have the nerve or the energy to invite anyone to go with me. Um, didn't really want to talk to anybody when I was there. I kind of showed up late 
and left early and didn't talk to anyone when I was there. But I did listen to this guy speak. And his name was Steve Chandler. And the talk he gave was honestly really simply powerful. And the way he shared it resonated. And he was very, very generous in the way he presented things to people and always made sure that he gave them some sort of thing to take with them as a gift or as some sort of a reminder of what they'd heard to help them stay in the in the feeling or in the understanding that he shared with them. And uh, that day he sent us home with a CD and I believe a book. But the CD found its way onto my desk at home. And as time passed and my experience of life got darker and darker and more depressing and more difficult, I came to a point where I was really in some desperation. And my suffering was at an all-time high. My emotional and mental suffering was at an all-time high. I didn't know what I was going to do. This also coincided with the great economic recession of 2008. And I was just losing houses left and right and and not knowing what on earth I was going to do next. I was sitting late at night in my office with my head in my hands wondering what the heck am I going to do? And I looked down and I saw this CD and I looked up Steve Chandler online and I said to myself, that's the guy. I want to talk to that guy. The next day I called him and left him a message. I said, you don't know who I am, uh, but I attended one of your talks. I want to know what you know and do what you do. And that was it. And I didn't hear from him for a couple of days because the phone I left the message on was an office phone that he honestly didn't use very much. He used his cell phone all the time. And so it took a couple of days to hear back from him. And I'm going to continue this story in the next episode. Um, But I thank you so much for joining me today. And I hope that this is... Had you feel something, had you feel a little bit around the power of the experience that I had. And it will be a good lead in to what's coming next week. So thank you again. Have a wonderful day and or evening or whatever time it is. And I do appreciate you for listening. Bye for now.